This is a podcast of honest, raw, authentic conversations about how to live a hopeful life. Not in the rainbows and unicorns kind of way. Oh no. We're talking about hard stuff. Cancer, loss, fear, and much more. And also the good stuff. Love, laughter, connection. We're going to take time together to talk about how to find light in the darkness. I'm Lara McGregor, founder of Hope Scarves and the Hopeful Life Project. Join me as I navigate my own way of living joyfully with a terminal illness and talk to others who have also found a way to live a hopeful life. Today I talk with Lakeisha Jackson-Gordon. We get real about this BS of a metastatic breast cancer diagnosis. Side note, we couldn't help but drop a couple (laughs) F-bombs. It's just hard. Lakeisha shares her personal struggles and how she rides the roller coaster of ups and downs of MBC. Like me, Lakeisha has found that focusing on others helps her cope. She founded Pink Shoes, a nonprofit focused on strength, hope, optimism, endurance, and survival. They provide direct financial assistance and support for cancer patients. We also talk about the disparities in care and the particular issues black women face when diagnosed with breast cancer. This conversation is real and raw, and I am so grateful that Lakeisha shared her perspective on metastatic breast cancer. It's a story that needs to be heard. Hi, my name's Lakeisha, and living a hopeful life means being around long enough to share the joys of life with my baby girl, Layla. Lakeisha, welcome to a Hopeful Life podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad to connect with you and learn more about your story. As we launched the podcast with five metastatic breast cancer stories, it was really important to share a variety of different perspectives. And Mm -hmm. I um, felt like yours would be a great one to add to the mix because I love your energy and the way you are facing this disease <laughs> and also how you have turned your um, your heartbreak into hope by founding Pink Shoes. And we're going to talk about your story and then talk about your organization and just how you bring light into the darkness. So let's start there. Um, Tell me a little bit about your metastatic breast cancer diagnosis and just how your story turned. My metastatic story is, can I curse? Oh, yeah. Oh, because I curse. Okay. I just wanted to make sure. <laughs> we can uh, put a little explicit little like, like doohickey yeah. on, the, on the episode and make it really real. <laughs> um, it's, 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 it fucking sucks. <laughs> that's, that, that's what it is. It sucks. It, it caught me as like, as a complete surprise. Um, I was originally diagnosed early stage in 2011. So then being diagnosed nine years, eight years later, however many years later, um, metastatic was like, what the, what the hell, you know, it's totally unexpected. Mm-hmm. How did you, um, find the metastatic diagnosis? How did that come about for you? So, um, my 
tumor markers, my doctor, once a month, he was always checking my tumor markers. Um, they were going up slightly, not a lot, not anything drastic. Um, you know, inching up, inching up, inching up. So he was like, Hey, this is going up a little bit. Let's, we did a scan. This is 29, this is 20, 2019. They started inching up after 2018. I had a local reoccurrence. So after I did all the treatment for that, um, my PET scan was clear. My markers was pretty normal, but then they started inching up, inching up. So we was like, okay, they're inching up a little bit. Let's do another scan. Scan showed nothing, you know. Okay. They were still inching up, inching up. We did a second scan mid-year, still showed nothing. Hmm. Like, okay, nothing showing, but um, these markers are still escalating a little bit. And then in October, when study inching it up again we did another scan and then that's when we saw that it was metastatic we, we saw two spots on the liver and one spot in my right shoulder bone and we were like okay so this is why it kept the tumor markers kept inching up but nothing was showing up on my scans mm. um so it caught me by surprise I, I'm like what the f-? you know what I mean like it's such a it's such a hard um pill to swallow, like metastatic, you know? Oh gosh. Yeah. Giant, awful pill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> For me, when I was diagnosed metastatic, I feel like I didn't, I didn't really even know what it meant or I wasn't, I wasn't thinking about a reoccurrence in my, you know, my back, like I have breast cancer right, in my, right, my right. back, um, which I felt was like a little bit of a, I, I was, I was, I was angry that I didn't, I wasn't empowered more with more knowledge or more aware of my health to know what to look for and signs. Um, When you experienced this progression, did you, how did you feel? Did you feel like you were prepared? Did you know what kind of about metastatic disease? Like I knew about it because I have friends that are metastatic. Okay. So I knew about it. Mm -hmm. Um, But, and it was always a thought in the back of my mind because I just always thought, like ever since I was first diagnosed, I've always had anxiety about reoccurrence mm-hmm. and metastatic. And and now I feel like I'm sort of like living in my worst nightmare because I've always thought about it, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so I knew about it. I didn't know a lot about it, but I just knew enough about it. But then mm-hmm. once it hit me, then it was like totally different, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah. I mean, I would have never expected it to be in like my liver or my bone. Like I never, I didn't have any symptoms, like nothing, nothing was wrong. You know, I didn't feel anything. Right. Even my liver enzymes was normal. My, my, my liver function test was normal. My liver enzymes were normal, which is all good, good stuff. You know, we want those to be normal, but it was no indication that something was wrong with the liver. Right. Which leads us to like such the importance of research, right? Mm -hmm. Because we don't have enough indicators right now to monitor breast cancer progression. And there's so many different types of progression as far as what drives it, where it progresses, that it's not, it's not just like a clear, you know, path. It's so different and um, there's so much unknown. And so that is just that as I listen to you and I hear your, just that frustration and that like disbelief, that is why we need more research. More research. The more understanding about this disease, the more um, tools to monitor breast mm-hmm. cancer, you know, we're going to be able to 
diagnose it. And I feel that it's more frustrating for me is because I feel like I did every single thing that I was supposed to do. Like I'm about to get all Terry not. No, exactly. Like, like I feel like I did every fucking thing they told me to do. Mm-hmm. Everything. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and I'm always on top of my shit. Like every month I make sure we get my blood work. I make like, I'm adamant about getting my scans. It's like, I don't let nothing pass right you know i don't let nothing slide even as hard as it is to go you know to get your blood work to read your reports like i make sure like it's my it's what i do mm-hmm. and it's like how do we get in here mm-hmm. and there is nothing about anything that you did that <laughs> caused it one way or the other and that's the thing i think sometimes people think that when you have metastatic disease, it's because you didn't get the right therapy or right. the chemo, you know, something you didn't follow through with the, or you know, didn't work. And I remember when I was diagnosed early stage and we did everything. Like I had mm. double mastectomy. I did chemo. I did radiation. I was on tamoxifen and people were saying to me like, why are you doing so much stuff? You were so early. You don't have to. And I'm like, no, my, me and my team, we made the decision that we're going to do the most treatment to hopefully prevent a reincarnation. Like we purposely decided to do everything. Yeah. You know, mm. so it's like, what the fuck? Right. And like, there's why nothing am I here right now. <laughs> there's no way that again, hello. Right. Like, why? <laughs> right. So like, why, why? <laughs> why did I, and why did you progress when other women that do the exact same thing, yep. the exact same therapy, live for 30 years without ever having any reoccurrence. What was different in our cells, in our tumor, in our genetic makeup that caused the metastasis to happen? We don't understand that. And the only way we can further this oh, effort <laughs> is to, oh my God, I know. No, it's so frustrating You because we, there's nothing different. There's no like, there's no indicator that clearly shows this case is going to become metastatic. You do all the things. Right. I did all the things. I And then yeah. I, I even like ate, I, you know, I was so like consumed with like my diet and my health and my exercise and like all of that. And, um, and I still progressed. It, it's right. not because of anything that we did. If one in eight women are diagnosed with breast cancer of those eight women, 30% mm-hmm. become metastatic. Yep. So, it can happen, and I think this is really important for people to re- understand, is it can happen one year, five years, 10 years, 30 years. Yeah. It can happen at any point. Anytime. Yeah. And from any stage. You can be stage zero and you become metastatic. Yep. You can yep. be stage three and become metastatic. Any At any point, that is the reality of this disease. And that is, um, I just think that's something to not be afraid of or to not talk about, but I think knowledge is power that if the breast cancer community understands that, that we become better advocates for ourselves and for each other. And, you know, I, I feel so strongly, I know you do too, about the pink ribbon, all the activities of breast cancer advocacy, Mm. being inclusive of the metastatic story and, to be like the brightest, most vibrant pink of all. Right. Like we look at the women like you and the others that we f- have showcased it on this podcast who are living with this disease. And um, they're at the heart of the pink ribbon. There's right. no end to treatment for There's us. There's no end. It, it doesn't end. It's like forever, you know? It's mm-hmm. it's forever. And like, who wants to be on treatment for, for fucking ever? Mm. 
Like, I mean, we do because, you know, you want to take everything as long as you possibly can. But it, like, fucking sucks. Mm -hmm. It's like, and sometimes, you know, you think, like, what the hell? Like, I know there's nothing that we did to deserve it. I know that. But then sometimes you think, like, well, what the fuck did I do? (laughs) You know? Like, well, damn. (laughs) Did I? What? 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 I know. Like, it's it's three times not enough. Like, Mm -hmm. seriously, you know? Like, can I just please get a break? I know. I know. I know. So what, Lakeisha, do you do when you are feeling that? Like when you're feeling like this sucks, this is so unfair. Um, how do you, how do you pull yourself out of that? Like on a day-to-day basis, what do you do? Because we cannot, as metastatic patients, we can't wait for the end of treatment to be hopeful. We no. can't wait no. for the last, you know, to ring the chemo right. bell and then be joyful. Happen. Right. We no. have to find, we have to go get the light and bring it into the darkness. Yes. What do you do? How do you get through these frustrating, hard, agonizing feelings? Well, it, it's, it's, di- it's different thing because sometimes if I'm like feeling in a bad mood, like I'll just be in my bad mood. Like I'll just like, I'm just going to go lay in a bed today. I'm not in the mood. I don't want to, you know, mm-hmm. but other times, like I just continue to do what I have to do. Like I'm still overall healthy ish, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and I, I can, I'm still capable of doing everything that I normally do. I, I still enjoy time with my family, um, my husband and my children. And I still am able to do what I just said to my husband this morning. I said, if my, um, tumor markers, are stable-ish <laughs> we're gonna book that trip to Vegas today mm. <laughs> so you know just like little things I'm like you know because at the end of the day we get it's highs and lows mm-hmm. we get some highs we get some lows I had one scan and it was no evidence three months later I had a scan and it showed an eight millimeter lesion so you know you get it's up and down but mm. when I get those highs I'm just gonna celebrate those highs Mm -hmm. no matter how little it may seem to somebody else but stable tumor markers is okay for me you Mm -hmm. know Mm -hmm. so anything I'm gonna celebrate all my victories no matter how small they are do you feel like um I feel like sometimes I I, well for one I'm never ever ever you will never hear me say anything like cancer is a blessing or like I have you know it was meant to be like I that's bullshit to me (laughs) like I it's not a blessing but I do feel like some, for a lot of time, the sun shines brighter for me. The sunset is more vibrant. I love more deeply. I laugh mm-hmm. hard, harder. Like I just, all I, I things are just like intensified because right. I realize the fragility of it. Um, do you feel that way? Do you feel like there's some of those moments where like maybe, maybe something simple you would have just like passed you by in the busyness of life, but now you just like pause and are like, Oh my God, that was yeah. good. Like, yeah. And then sometimes I'm also feel like when I see people that's just like not appreciative of just like basic shit. And I'm like, really, you need to be fucking happy. Okay. <laughs> Cause you don't like, I don't want to hear your shit. Like you can't get, you can't complain to me about anything. I'm sorry. I don't want to hear your, your, your story. You can't like, because I'm living with metastatic disease. Like I am stage four. You can't complain to me about, you know, regular bullshit that I would love to have instead right. of this. I think one of my favorite, like one of my favorite quotes is like, I wish that I was worried about like, just like everyday stresses. Right. Like how awesome would it be to be like, damn, my 
washing machine is broken. Like, right. that's so annoying. I have to sit here for three hours and wait for the repairman. I can't go. Right. Like, I would love for those to be my stresses. <laughs> right. But unfortunately, that's not ours. <laughs> no. Not anymore. No, yeah, not anymore. Well, one of the things that I have done is turned heartbreak into hope by creating hope scarves. And I feel like it's it's harder it's harder to feel sorry for yourself when you're focused on helping other helping people. Others. Right? Like mm-hmm. making meaning from your pain helps you process what you've gone right. through. And you take your feelings and you just turn it inside out and you focus on others and you bring, instead of focusing on your pain, you just focus on the the joy and the love that you can share with other people. And gosh, that has, that has been so incredibly meaningful to me over the last eight years that I have done Hope Scarves and continue to raise money for research and um, build our nonprofit. Mm-hmm. You have done something similar yes. in um, creating pink shoes. Can you please tell our listeners about this beautiful organization? So when I was first diagnosed in 2011, me and my friend Janesha, we founded Pink Shoes Inc., um, which is a nonprofit breast cancer organization. And shoes actually stands for strength, hope, optimism, endurance, and survival. Mm. And we we started it when I was first diagnosed because I just felt like at the time, there I, there was no organizations that I knew of that were like for younger women or that was offering the things that we offer. So I was like, well, then we can't find it. Then that means it needs us. We need to be the ones to, to do it. Mm-hmm. So um, we founded the organization. And what we do is. So I know a lot of people focus on like breast cancer awareness. Fine, if that's your thing. But women have breast cancer right now. They're living with it right now. And going through it, some they need they need help going through it because yes, awareness is great, but you know, we need more action behind the awareness. However, the women who are going through it, they already have it. Mm-hmm. So we they need some help. So that's where we step in. And what we decided to do is we help with them. We offer um limited financial assistance. So we will help them with utility bills if they need help paying a cable bill, an electric bill, a gas, like whatever they need help with a utility bill. We, we do utility bill assistance. We offer them gas gift cards to get to one from treatments because mm. if you're going through radiation, that's every day. Every day. Or, you know, whatever. You're going back and forth through appointments. Um, we offer gas gift cards to help them get to one from treatment. We offer wig purchases. If they want a wig, we help purchase them a wig. Sometimes they just want a day of peace. We give them spa gift certificates. Mm. Just they can go to the spa and just relax. Hopefully, take their mind off cancer for a day. Yeah. Um, we have special sponsorships which we do um, for Thanksgiving, and we get all their Thanksgiving food. So they send us a list. We go shopping, get everything on their list. We drop it off to them a couple of days before Thanksgiving, so that they have everything that they need to make their Thanksgiving dinner for them and their families. For Christmas, we do the same thing. We have them send us their children's Christmas list. We get their kids' Christmas gifts, mm-hmm. um, their toys, new coats, you know, all of that good stuff. We drop it off to them a few days before Christmas so that they have everything that they need because we try to focus on the whole family as a whole because at the end of the day, yes, mom or the guardian is the one dealing with breast cancer. However, the family deals with it as well. So mm-hmm. we try to 
help by helping the whole family, like, you know, providing Christmas gifts for the children. That's one less thing mom and dad have to worry about. Like, oh, we got to go shopping. We don't have any money. We got to pay co-pays. But now we get, you know, if they celebrate Christmas, we got to get our kids Christmas gifts too. Uh-uh-uh-uh. We're going to take care of that. You send us the list. We, and, and we'll, we'll handle that for you. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have to worry about Thanksgiving. You don't have to worry about, you know, we, oh, I didn't mention we also do grocery gift cards. So if you need, you know, a gift card to stop and shop to go get some food, mm-hmm. we do that as well. Just little things just to help the parent and the children as well, because we feel like the whole family as a whole um, suffers when somebody's going through the breast cancer diagnosis. It's so true. Is the services you provide limited to your community? No. So our financial assistance, we can help women. Like we've helped, we're based in New York, but we've helped women all over California. I mean, Hawaii, everywhere. But our special sponsorships like Thanksgiving and Christmas and our prom sponsorship, those are local only because those are more intimate. We actually go to your home or whatever. So those are the only ones that's in so Long Island. That's Long Island. So just yes. if listeners, Island, wherever listeners are, I want them Long to Long Island. We do Brooklyn and Queens. Um, yeah. Like, you know, the five boroughs of New York and Long Island. Okay. But everything else can be anywhere. And how does someone find you or, you know, reach out for support? Well, we have a website, um, www.pinkshoesinc.org. They can go on there. We have a contact link. There's no income guidelines for our assistance. You just have to be... Um, an active treatment with chemo or radiation or, you know, currently living with metastatic disease. Okay. Mm-hmm. How can people support you if they want to um, help you do this amazing work? Obviously, this takes a lot of, of money and volunteers mm-hmm. to to meet these needs of, of um, patients. How can people get involved with Pink Shoes if they're interested in helping you do this great work? Um, several ways. One, you can always donate to us. That helps us continue our mission and further our cause to help as many women as we can. And there's a donate link on our website, but also just by telling people about us, you know, sharing our posts, liking us on social media, those things also brings people, you know, somebody who may not have heard about us, you might be resharing a post and somebody may be like, Oh, Hey, I know somebody who can use their services or whatever. So, um, it's not always just monetary, even though that's very important, but you know, social media and spreading the word about us is also really great for our organization. Absolutely. I'll make sure to post. I don't entirely know how to do this because I'm still learning about (laughs) podcasts, but I've heard other podcasts talk about posting a link in the show notes. You'll figure it out. out. (laughs) Once I figure out what the show notes are, I'll post that there. (laughs) I'm I'm building this plane as I fly. Um, But it's, I just... It's so important, those things. I mean, it seems simple, you know, helping with groceries, helping with gas, helping, you know, with Christmas presents. But when you are facing cancer, everything is just heavier. And when you have people come alongside to help carry the burden, um, it's just, it's awesome. Um, But it's hard. Isn't it hard to receive help? It is. Like, I don't like receiving help. Uh, no. Right? Me I'm either. Like, I'm like, I got it. I'm no thing. Like, well, I'm, I... it's, and it's difficult because I feel like sometimes people just want to be nice. Mm-hmm. But then me, on the other hand, like I've always been very independent and I've always been able to do things on my own. So I don't, I'm not really good at receiving. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a flaw of myself, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I share that same flaw, admittedly. Yeah. Um, I think sometimes we talk about, you know, like taking 
shining our light on other people as a way to cope with our, our challenges, yep. which is so healing, but also we have to be reminded that we also like here you are helping carry the burden of all these women and you yeah. also need to like pause and think, I know. okay, <laughs> somebody, you know, somebody asked me if, you know, if they could bring me over a meal and I said, no, I'm good. I got it. But really mm-hmm. what you can say is yes, please. That right. Would be lovely. <laughs> but right. it's hard for me too. It's hard. I mean, I mm-hmm. dish out advice all the time and I'm like, oh, you need to go to, you know, there's this support group. And do you know that there's this, um, you know, slow flow yoga at Gilda's club? You can do this. This will help with lymphedema and blah, blah, blah. And do you think I go to any of them myself? Right. No, right. exactly. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I know. It's so it's bad. Hard. It's hard. I think um, we have to remember that, um, that we yeah. can also receive love and support. I know. But the hard thing, is sometimes with metastatic disease is, you know, you're like, people want to make a meal train and you're like, uh, well, it could be years, you know, like right. I don't, there's, no, there's no definitive there's no, end. There's no end here. Right. You're going to be doing this every day forever. Okay, yeah. cool. Right. You have to figure out what, what is helpful as you go through the roller coaster yeah. of highs and lows of metastatic disease and where you do need people to help. And, and when you feel like you got it, then you got it. And you actually, it's empowering to not need help. Right. Like it's right. But it's like, you got to give yourself those ups and downs. I know. Yeah. <sighs> but I feel like, I don't know. I'm not myself if I don't do it myself, you know, mm-hmm. like I'm like, I don't, I don't need it. I'm good. And then sometimes I also feel like, me receiving help is kind of like taking away from somebody else who may mm. really need it mm. because I don't really need anything. I mean, it's nice, but I don't really need anything. Right. You know? Well, and don't you kind of, sometimes I'm like, I just want to like need a rain check for that because right now I'm good. <laughs> but right, right, if, this, right. if this, <laughs> this show goes, you know, like turns, turns out, right. I'm going to need you then. So just right. hold on with that meal circle, until circle I call back around here. Right. 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 Cause we don't know. Right, we, we don't know what's coming. That uncertainty, um, mm-hmm. the and that's one of that's also I feel like one of the hard. Like for me, the things like not knowing something is what gives me such bad anxiety. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like when I know something, I can deal with it much better. But like mm-hmm. the not knowing, like not knowing if your scan is going to be okay, not knowing what your blood work is going to look like, like not knowing, you know, you're fine one month, everything's fine. You go to next month, and it it could be totally different. Like that is what that makes me go crazy. Yeah. Right. Because we're like, give us a plan. What are the things, Mm -hmm. what are the five steps I need to do to Mm -hmm. achieve wellness? And then I will do them. Give me the checklist. And the problem with this disease is that you, you could do, you know, here's 10 things you could try and then you go back and there's progression. And so there's, there are things obviously we can do to take steps to be well, but we don't, it's ultimately out of our control. And that is so Exactly. It's yep. so hard. I even I said to my doctor when I was leaving yesterday, I'm like, um, are there still there's still other options on the table, right? Like, cause you you just want to know, like, okay, if if something comes up next time, like, is it still something else we can do? You know, I'm I'm still on my first line of treatment, mm. but you know, usually not usually sometimes they don't work forever, and you have to do something else. So I'm like, you know, what's our plan? And he's like, relax. Like right now, this is what we are on. For right now, like you, I, and I'm like, I know, but I just want to know that mm-hmm. if something else pops up, it's still something else we can do. Like, even though I don't want anything else to pop up, but I just need to be prepared to know that there's something we can do. And it's like, <laughs> why do I do this to myself? 
Well, there's just it's such a tightrope <laughs> because part of it is like I want to see a little bit of the landscape ahead. I want to know what's out there. But then there's also this piece which is like living intentionally right, right. now today. Right now. Yep. Because yep. if we live in the perceived future, yes. we'll drive ourselves so crazy. crazy. Yep. <laughs> Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. That was a, that was kind of a breakthrough therapy moment for me when my counselor talked to me about living in the perceived future, because yeah. I was like, holy cow. Yeah. I'm totally living in the perceived future. I'm always worried about when this, what if this, how this will happen? Like that's where my brain is. Mm-hmm. And then I'm not grounding myself right here today in right. what's right in front of me. Right. Oh, but that's work. It is work. It is. That's why I always say, I feel like it, like it's still some about joy, you know, Mm. because I don't want to have all this crazy ass anxiety. Mm. I don't want to be making myself crazy, checking a portal all day, like worrying. And, you know, if I get a headache, like, oh my gosh, I have a fucking brain tumor. Like, I don't, I don't want to do that. Mm -mm. You know, I really don't want to, (laughs) Mm -mm. I don't, but it's like, it just takes from us, you know, it's like, it just, it's, I feel like it just steals some of my joy, mm-hmm. you know, you have to, and as much as I try to be positive and as much as I try to like, you know, not let it consume me. Sometimes it does. Right. It does. It's, and that's, that's that tightrope. Um, yeah. And I think that it's uh, like allowing yourself to go there, to have the fear, not denying those feelings, but then like having them, I feel like I have them. I almost like, I can almost like visualize taking them and setting them down. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, this is what I'm worried about this. And I'm going to take it. I'm going to bundle, pack it up into like a tight ball yeah. and I'm going to set it down. I'm going to throw mm-hmm. it. Maybe I'm just going to chuck it right, right. <laughs> and oh, get it off, yeah. but it comes right. back. But like it comes back. constant of, you know, yep. like processing, dealing, reflecting, working through those feelings. And mm-hmm. that is what is, I think one of the significant differences between early stage cancer, where you have a set treatment plan, you have a light at the end of the tunnel, you have a path forward and metastatic disease where you live in the uncertainty and you make peace with the uncertainty as best you can. As best you can. um, Because that's, that's the reality that we live Mm -hmm. in. And Often we, you know, we look good. You look good. You look healthy. You're a beautiful woman. That's confusing to people, right? They picture a cancer patient is, you know, frail and bald Mm -hmm. and pale, like not healthy looking. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's an outside, you know, projection sometimes that makes metastatic disease seem like this like silent disease. Right. And, um, it doesn't mean that we're not still carrying a huge burden. Burden. Exactly. Hmm. Talk to me for a minute about this really frustrating statistic that is black women have Mm a 40% higher death rate of metastatic breast cancer. That is so agonizing to me. Mm -hmm. Um, there is a huge disparity in it health is. that I really want to acknowledge and recognize as something that really needs to be addressed um, as we talk about breast cancer as a whole and we talk mm-hmm. about metastatic disease. Um, ugh. I feel like as a black woman, like I feel like it fucking sucks again. Mm-hmm. And I feel like with all things, 
black women always get the shit end of the stick. You know, I feel like with healthcare, with with education, with jobs, we are always like pushed aside. Mm. And and it sucks because it's like why do we have this higher death rate? Are we not taking it serious? Do you not care as much about my health as your white patient? Like, like why, you know, it, it doesn't make any sense. And it's really frustrating. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's like mind boggling to me. Like how, how, how is this a reality? I know. Like it doesn't make any sense. Mm-mm. Only thing I could think of is that we, we're not taken serious. We're always usually labeled as like, oh, you know, the angry black woman, mm-hmm. the 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 mat, the 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 upset patient. You know, it and it's and it's and it's it's all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, my healthcare team. I don't feel that way for my healthcare team, but I know people who who do and who really experience it. Mm. And it's like. Why, why am I not a concern? Mm-hmm. You know, why are you not doing going these extra steps for me? Mm-hmm. Why? Why? You mm-hmm. know, and I think that that those are the reasons why we have those high death rates. They they don't care about us as much. They don't think we're as important as much. Mm. And and that fucking sucks. And that should not be the case. You should not be nobody's goddamn doctor. And you're not going to treat all your patients equal and fair. Right. There should, I mean, it should, that's 40% should not be like, that should not even exist. That is just too fucking high. It mm-hmm. should not exist. Mm-hmm. Like it's mind blowing to me. It, it, it's like, it's so frustrating. Mm-hmm. And access to care, I think is really important. You know, access to clinical trials and to advanced therapies that. Right. But why don't black women have access to the trials? Are they not presented with the information to do it? Like, mm-hmm. are you only looking for white people? Mm-hmm. Like why, like why, why do black women not participate as much? Right. I've never been asked to participate in a clinical trial to, to this date, to, to today, never, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and now that I just thought about it, I'm going to ask my oncologist <laughs> why, <laughs> but I'm just saying like, it's never been presented to me as an option ever. Right. Even when I was early stage or, I mean, just anything, but why, why do they not have access to care? That all goes back to the whole thing of the whole systematic yes. racism. Yes. That's what it goes back to. It, it exactly. all goes back to that. Yes. It's just, there's so, there's just these added hurdles yep. in front of black women that mm-hmm. need to, I mean, it's already hard enough, right? Exactly. You added it's already hard enough hurdles. being black. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then you have all these other things and it's like, what the fuck? I, I want to live just like you want to. Mm-hmm. You know, I want the same quality care and treatment as you. There should be no different because I'm black that you're going to get a better health care or, you know, you get more options or your doctor's more supportive of you and more. You, you give it up like that mm. shouldn't be the deal. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Like, no, we talk. We have had this consistent theme in all of our interviews around advocacy, around mm-hmm. knowing your body, around asking questions. So many of the women that I have talked to have said, I pushed for this treatment. I asked for the second scan. I asked for this extra mammogram when I just didn't feel the spot felt the something felt wrong here, even mm-hmm. when I was reassured. And when we think about it in this context, it's like everybody already feels they have to advocate for themselves. And so mm-hmm. it's even harder, I think, for black women to black women. do it. And to get what they are, you know, to get the treatments that they deserve deserve. and to be heard through their concerns. And Mm -hmm. I just, I feel like that's, that 
needs to be part of the conversation. So as we're it talking does. about shining light on metastatic breast cancer, as we're talking about breast cancer awareness month, that there is a really big light also shining on the disparities in healthcare. Yeah, the health is bad. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ugh. There's so much work to be done. And it is it's so and much. It's, and it's, and it's sad that in 2020, we're still here, mm-hmm. like having these conversations about health disparities and how black women are treated. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's like, come on, like, seriously, mm-hmm. like, why are we still even here? Mm-hmm. Mm. There's so, there's so much, there's so much to it unpack is. here. And there is so many levels that um, this is hard, mm-hmm. but Lakeisha, I see your light shining through you as you talk about your perseverance and your tenacity to face this disease with such a big spirit and the work that you're doing through Pink Shoes to help women with everyday essential Mm -hmm. care that is going to make their journey a little bit easier. Um, I'm just, I'm so grateful to have met you and for this chance to have this conversation, to bring these ideas to people's minds to consider and to think about all of the different perspectives of metastatic breast Mm -hmm. cancer that we are facing. You know, so many, I I could talk to you for hours. Forever. Right. I know. (laughs) So much. There's so much. Um, well, let's take a, a, sh- a shift here um, to something a little lighter. I have a lightning round of questions for you. And um, I'm going to ask you to just fill in the blank with what comes to mind when I ask these questions. Um, okay. So first one. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. <laughs> All right. Fill in the blank. Hope is... Hope is surviving. Mm. It is. One day at a time, right? Yep. (laughs) We know a hopeful life is not just realized in the perfect, happy moments, but also in the struggle. When you are in one of those hard moments, what gets you through? My family. Besides your family, faith, and phone, what is something (laughs) you cannot live without? Family, faith, and phone. Um, something I cannot live without. I would say um, some good food. Mm. <laughs> yes. What's your like some go-to like comfort food? What do you love that I just love, makes you happy? Oh, I love baked macaroni and cheese. Mm. I make it so good. It's like the best. I love baked macaroni and cheese. I love, I do. I make the best. That's like I a hug and a, and a fork, like a fork full of love yeah. right there. <laughs> yes. It's like amazing. Oh, but um, that is one of my favorites. Yum. Okay. That sounds delicious. Share with me an ordinary moment in your life that is filled with hope. An ordinary moment in my life that is filled with hope. Um, watching my daughter. Like watching her just grow up. Um, she's so smart. You know, she's like, I'm not just saying that because she's my daughter, but she's so smart. She's such a good kid. Like just looking at her, uh, I'm getting all teary eyed again. Mm. And 
just looking at her daily, mm-hmm. it's just like so hopeful. Mm. Like for her, mm-hmm. you know, for me, mm-hmm. I hope to be around long time for her. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Mm. That's beautiful, Akisha. Okay, some people yeah. call it a bucket list. <laughs> I prefer to call it a wonder list. What is on your wonder list that will make your hopeful life complete? What's on my wonder list? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't think, I think something that will make my life complete, I have to circle it back to my daughter. Mm-hmm. Would be like watching her grow up, mm-hmm. seeing her evolve to the, amazing person that she's going to be mm-hmm. um, and being here to experience that. Mm-hmm. That would be my ultimate bucket list mm-hmm. to just be able to see her evolve into the woman that she's going to be and to see the mark that she leaves on this world mm. and to be here to experience it with her. Yes. Mm. I hope that is true. <sighs> I do. Ah. Oh, gosh. Thank you for taking time today to be so honest and vulnerable and real. This has been such a great conversation. I really think that our stories will help people think. And um, I just am so grateful for you and for meeting you and for you you sharing your story with us today. Thank you for being together with me. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to our stories. I hope you take away something you can apply to your hopeful life. Help keep the hopeful life momentum going by sharing our podcast and take a minute to rate and write a review. If you'd like to learn more, check out our websites, myhopefullife.org and hopescarves.org.